0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Today, a story of honor, loyalty, and redemption. And a love story. The Sire de Malatroyd's Door, by Robert Louis Stevenson. And now, our story. Denis de Beaulieu was not yet two and twenty, but he counted himself a grown man and a very accomplished cavalier into the bargain. Lads were early formed in that rough, wayfaring epoch and when one has been in a pitched battle and a dozen raids, has killed one's man in an honourable fashion, and knows a thing or two of strategy and mankind, a certain swagger in the gate is surely to be pardoned. He had put up his horse with due care, and supped with due deliberation, and then, in a very agreeable frame of mind, went out to pay a visit in the grey of the evening. It was not a very wise proceeding on the young man's part, He would have done better to remain beside the fire, or go decently to bed, for the town was full of the troops of Burgundy and England under a mixed command, and though Denis was there on safe conduct, his safe conduct was like to serve him little on a chance encounter. It was September 1429. The weather had fallen sharp. A flighty piping wind, laden with showers, beat about the township, and the dead leaves ran riot along the streets. Here and there a window was already lighted up, and the noise of men-at-arms, making merry over supper within, came forth in fits, and was swallowed up and carried away by the wind. The night fell swiftly. The flag of England, fluttering on the spire-top, grew ever fainter and fainter against the flying clouds, a black speck like a swallow in the tumultuous leaden chaos of the sky. As the night fell, the wind rose and began to hoot under archways and roar amid the treetops in the valley below the town. Denis de Beauhue walked fast and was soon knocking at his friend's door, but though he promised himself to stay only a little while and make an early return, his welcome was so pleasant and he found so much to delay him that it was already long past midnight before he said good-bye upon the threshold. The wind had fallen again in the meanwhile. The night was as black as the grave, not a star— "'not a glimmer of moonshine slipped through the canopy of cloud. "'Denis was ill-acquainted with the intricate lanes of Chateau Landon. "'Even by daylight he had found some trouble in picking his way, "'and in this absolute darkness he soon lost it altogether. "'He was certain of one thing only, to keep mounting the hill, "'for his friend's house lay at the lower end, or tail, of Chateau Landon, "'while the inn was up at the head, under the great church spire.' With this clue to go upon, he stumbled and groped forward, now breathing more freely in the open places where there was a good slice of sky overhead, now feeling along the wall in stifling closes. It is an eerie and mysterious position to be thus submerged in opaque blackness in an almost unknown town. The silence is terrifying in its possibilities. The touch of cold window bars to the exploring hand startles the man like the touch of a toad. The inequalities of the pavement shake his heart into his mouth. A piece of denser darkness threatens an ambuscade or a chasm in the pathway, and where the air is brighter, the houses put on strange and bewildering appearances, as if to lead him further from his way. For Denis, who had to regain his inn without attracting notice, there was real danger as well as mere discomfort in the walk, and he went warily and boldly at once, and at every corner, Pause to make an observation, he had been for some time threading a lane so narrow that he could touch a wall with either hand, when it began to open out and go sharply downward. Plainly, this lay no longer in the direction of his inn, but the hope of a little more light tempted him forward to reconnoiter. The lane ended in a terrace with a bartizan wall, which gave an outlook between high houses as out of an embrasure into the valley lying dark and formless several hundred feet below. Denis looked down and could discern a few treetops waving and a single speck of brightness where the river ran across a weir. The weather was clearing up and the sky had lightened so as to show the outline of the heavier clouds and the dark margin of the hills. By the uncertain glimmer the house on his left hand should be a place of some pretensions. It was surmounted by several pinnacles and turret tops the round stern of a chapel, with a fringe of flying buttresses, projected boldly from the main block, and the door was sheltered under a deep porch carved with figures and overhung by two long gargoyles. The windows of the chapel gleamed through their intricate tracery with a light as of many tapers, and threw out the buttresses and the peaked roof in a more intense blackness against the sky. It was plainly the hotel of some great family of the neighborhood, and as it reminded Denis of a townhouse of his own at Bourges, he stood for some time gazing up at it, and mentally gauging the skill of the architects and the consideration of the two families. There seemed to be no way to enter the terrace but by the lane with which he had reached it, and he could only retrace his steps, but he had gained some notion of his whereabouts, and hoped by this means to hit the main thoroughfare and speedily regain the inn. He was reckoning without that chapter of accidents which was to make the night memorable above all others in his career, for he had not gone back above a hundred yards before he saw a light coming to meet him and heard loud voices speaking together in the echoing narrows of the lane. It was a party of men at arms going the night round with torches. Denis assured himself that they had all been making free with the wine bowl and were in no mood to be particular about safe conducts or the niceties of chivalrous war. It was as like as not that they would kill him like a dog and leave him where he fell. The situation was inspiriting but nervous. Their own torches would conceal him from sight, he reflected, and he hoped that they would drown the noise of his footsteps with their own empty voices. If he were but fleet and silent, he might evade their notice altogether. Unfortunately, as he turned to beat a retreat, his foot rolled upon a pebble. He fell against the wall with an ejaculation "'and his sword rang loudly on the stones. Two or three voices demanded, "'Who goes there? "'Some in French, some in English.' "'But Denis made no reply "'and ran the faster down the lane. "'Once upon the terrace, "'he paused to look back. "'They still kept calling after him "'and just then began to double the pace in pursuit "'with a considerable clank of armor "'and a great tossing of the torchlight "'to and fro in the narrow jaws of the passage.' Denis cast a look around, and darted into the porch. There he might escape observation, or, if that were too much to expect, was in a capital posture whether for parley or defense. So thinking, he drew his sword and tried to set his back against the door. To his surprise it yielded behind his weight, and though he turned in a moment, continued to swing back on oiled and noiseless hinges until it stood wide open on a black interior. When things fall out opportunely for the person concerned, he is not apt to be critical about the how or the why, his own immediate personal convenience seeming a sufficient reason for the strangest oddities and revolutions in our sublunary things. And so Denis, without a moment's hesitation, stepped within and partly closed the door behind him to conceal his place of refuge. Nothing was further from his thoughts than to close it altogether, but for some inexplicable reason, perhaps by a spring or a weight the ponderous mass of oak whipped itself out of his fingers and clanked too, with a formidable rumble and a noise like the falling of an automatic bar. The round, at that very moment, debauched upon the terrace and proceeded to summon him with shouts and curses. He heard them ferreting in the dark corners. The stock of a lance even rattled along the outer surface of the door behind which he stood. But these gentlemen were in too high a humor to be long delayed." and soon made off down a corkscrew pathway, which had escaped Denis's observation, and passed out of sight and hearing along the battlements of the town. Denis breathed again. He gave them a few minutes' grace for fear of accidents, and then groped about for some means of opening the door and slipping forth again. The inner surface was quite smooth, not a handle, not a molding, not a projection of any sort. He got his fingernails round the edges and pulled but the mass was immovable. He shook it. It was as firm as a rock. Jeanne de Beaulieu frowned, and gave vent to a little noiseless whistle. "'What ailed the door?' he wondered. Why was it open? How came it to shut so easily, and so effectually, after him? There was something obscure and underhand about all this, that was little to the young man's fancy. It looked like a snare—' And yet who who is supposed a snare in such a quiet by-street, and in a house of so prosperous and even noble an exterior? And yet, snare or no snare, intentionally or unintentionally, here he was, prettily trapped, and for the life of him he could see no way out of it again. The darkness began to weigh upon him. He gave ear. All was silent without, but within and close by he seemed to catch a faint sighing, a faint sobbing rustle. A LITTLE STEALTHY CREEK, AS THOUGH MANY PERSONS WERE AT HIS SIDE, HOLDING THEMSELVES QUITE STILL, AND GOVERNING EVEN THEIR RESPIRATION WITH THE EXTREME OF SHYNESS. THE IDEA WENT TO HIS VITALS WITH A SHOCK, AND HE FACED ABOUT SUDDENLY AS IF TO DEFEND HIS LIFE. THEN, FOR THE FIRST TIME, HE BECAME AWARE OF A LIGHT ABOUT THE LEVEL OF HIS EYES, AND AT SOME DISTANCE IN THE INTERIOR OF THE HOUSE. A VERTICAL THREAD OF LIGHT, WIDENING TOWARD THE BOTTOM, such as might escape between two wings of arras over a doorway. To see anything was a relief to Denis. It was like a piece of solid ground to a man laboring in a morass, his mind seized upon it with avidity, and he stood staring at it and trying to piece together some logical conception of his surroundings. Plainly there was a flight of steps ascending from his own level to that of this illuminated doorway, and indeed he thought he could make out another thread of light, as fine as a needle, and as faint as phosphorescence, which might very well be reflected along the polished wood of a handrail. Since he had begun to suspect that he was not alone, his heart had continued to beat with smothering violence, and an intolerable desire for action of any sort had possessed itself of his spirit. He was in deadly peril, he believed. What could be more natural than to mount a staircase, lift the curtain, and confront his difficulty at once? At least he would be dealing with something tangible. At least he would no longer be in the dark. He stepped slowly forward with outstretched hands until his foot struck the bottom step. Then he rapidly scaled the stairs, stood for a moment to comprise this expression, lifted the arras and went in. He found himself in a large apartment of polished stone. There were three doors, one on each of three sides, all similarly curtained with tapestry. The fourth side was occupied by two large windows and a great stone chimney piece carved with the arms of the Malatroids. Denny recognized the bearings and was gratified to find himself in such good hands. The room was strongly illuminated, but it contained little furniture except a heavy table and a chair or two. The hearth was innocent of fire, and the pavement was but sparsely strewn with rushes clearly many days old. On a high chair beside the chimney, and directly facing Denis as he entered, sat a little old gentleman in a fur tippet. He sat with his legs crossed and his hands folded, and a cup of spiced wine stood by his elbow on a bracket on the wall. His countenance had a strong masculine cast, not properly human, but such as we see in the bull, the goat, or the domestic boar. Something equivocal and wheedling, something greedy, brutal. "'and dangerous. "'The upper lip was inordinately full, "'as though swollen by a blow or a toothache, "'and the smile, the peaked eyebrows, "'and the small, strong eyes, "'were quaintly and almost comically evil in expression. "'Beautiful white hair hung straight all around his head, "'like a saint's, "'and fell in a single curl upon the tippet. "'His beard and moustache "'were the pink of venerable sweetness. "'Age probably in consequence of inordinate precautions, had left no mark upon his hands, and the malatroid hand was famous. It would be difficult to imagine anything at once so fleshy and so delicate in design. The tapered, sensual fingers were like those of one of Leonardo's women. The fork of the thumb made a dimpled protuberance when closed. The nails were perfectly shaped, and of a dead, surprising whiteness." It rendered the aspect tenfold more redoubtable, that a man with hands like these should keep them devoutly folded like a virgin martyr, that a man with so intent and startling an expression of face should sit patiently on his seat and contemplate people with an unwinking stare, like a god or a god's statue. His quiescence seemed ironical and treacherous. It fitted so poorly with his looks. Such was Elaine, Sire. De Malatroit. We'll return in a moment, with Robert Lewis Stevenson's at the Sire de Malatroit's door, right after these sponsor messages. And now back to our story. Denis and he looked silently at each other for a second or two. Pray, step in, said the Sire de Malatroit. I have been expecting you all evening. He had not risen, but he accompanied his words with a smile and a slight but courteous inclination of the head. Partly from the smile, partly from the strange, musical murmur with which the sire prefaced his observation, Denis felt a strong shudder of disgust go through his marrow. And what with disgust and honest confusion of mind, he could scarcely get words together in reply. I fear, he said, that this is a double accident. I am not the person you suppose me. IT SEEMS YOU WERE LOOKING FOR A VISIT, BUT FOR MY PART, NOTHING WAS FURTHER FROM MY THOUGHTS. NOTHING COULD BE MORE CONTRARY TO MY WISHES THAN THIS INTRUSION. "'Well, well,' replied the old gentleman, indulgently, "'here you are, which is the main point. Seat yourself, my friend, and put yourself entirely at your ease. We shall arrange our little affairs presently.' Denis perceived that the matter was still complicated, with some misconception, and he hastened to continue his explanation. "'Your door,' he began. "'About my door?' asked the other, raising his peaked eyebrows. "'A little piece of ingenuity,' and he shrugged his shoulders. "'A hospitable fancy. By your own account, you are not desirous of making any acquaintance. We old people look for such reluctance now and then when it touches our honor. We cast about until we find some way of overcoming it. You arrive uninvited, but believe me, very welcome. You persist in error, sir," said Denis. "There can be no question between you and me. I am a stranger in this countryside. My name is Denis, Demoiselle de Boulieu. If you see me in your house, it is only my young friend," interrupted the other. You permit me to have my own ideas on that subject. They probably differ from yours at the present moment, he added with a leer. But time will show which of us is in the right. Denis was convinced he had to do with a lunatic. He seated himself with a shrug, content to wait the upshot, and a pause ensued, during which he thought he could distinguish a hurried gambling as if a prayer from behind the heiress immediately opposite him. Sometimes there seemed to be but one person engaged, sometimes two, and the vehemence of the voice, low as it was, seemed to indicate either great haste or an agony of spirit. It occurred to him that this piece of tapestry covered the entrance to the chapel he had noticed from without. The old gentleman, meanwhile, surveyed Dinny from head to foot with a smile, and from time to time emitted little noises like a bird or a mouse. "'which seemed to indicate a high degree of satisfaction. "'This state of manners became rapidly insupportable, "'and Denis, to put an end to it, "'remarked politely that the wind had gone down. "'The old gentleman fell into a fit of silent laughter, "'so prolonged and violent, "'that he became quite red in the face. "'Denis got upon his feet at once, "'and put on his hat with a flourish. "'Sir,' he said, "'if you are in your wits,' you have affronted me grossly. If you are out of them, I flatter myself I can find better employment for my brains than to talk with lunatics. My conscience is clear. You have made a fool of me from the first moment. You have refused to hear my explanations, and now there is no power under God will make me stay here any longer. And if I cannot make my way out in a more decent fashion, I will hack your door to pieces with my sword.' The sire de Malatoit raised his right hand and wagged it at Denis with the fore and little fingers extended. "'My dear nephew,' he said, "'sit down.' "'Nephew!' retorted Denis. "'You lie in your throat.' And he snapped his fingers in his face. "'Sit down, you rogue!' cried the old gentleman in a sudden, harsh voice like the barking of a dog. "'Do you fancy?' he went on. "'that when I had made my little contrivance for the door, "'I had stopped short with that? "'If you prefer to be bound head and foot to your bones ache, "'rise and try to go away. "'If you choose to remain a free young buck, "'agreeably conversing with an old gentleman, "'why sit where you are in peace, and God be with you.' "'Do you mean I'm a prisoner?' demanded Denis. "'I state the facts,' replied the other. "'I would rather leave the conclusion to yourself.' Denis sat down again. Externally he managed to keep pretty calm. But within he was now boiling with anger, now chilled with apprehension. He no longer felt convinced that he was dealing with a madman. And if the old gentleman was sane, what in God's name had he to look for? What absurd or tragical adventure had befallen him? What countenance was he to assume? While he was thus unpleasantly reflecting— The heiress that overhung the chapel door was raised, and a tall priest in his robes came forth, and, giving a long, keen stare at Denis, said something in an undertone to Sire de Melitoit. "'She is in a better frame of spirit?' asked the latter. "'She is more resigned, Messire, replied the priest. "'Now the Lord help her! She is hard to please,' sneered the old gentleman, a likely stripling—' not ill-born, and of her own choosing, too. Why, what more would the jade have? The situation is not usual for a young damsel, said the other, and somewhat trying to her blushes. She should have thought of that before she began the dance. It was none of my choosing. God knows that. But since she is in it, by Our Lady, she shall carry it to the end. And then addressing Denis, Monsieur de Beaulieu, he asked, May I present you to my niece? She has been awaiting your arrival, I may say, with even greater impatience than myself. Denis had resigned himself with a good grace. All he desired was to know the worst of it as speedily as possible, so he rose at once and bowed in acquiescence. The sire de Melitroid followed his example and limped with the assistance of the chaplain's arm toward the chapel door. The priest pulled aside the heiress, and all three entered. The building had considerable architectural pretensions. A light groining sprang from six stout columns and hung down in two rich pendants from the center of the vault. The place terminated behind the altar in a round end, embossed and honeycombed with a superfluity of ornament in relief, and pierced by many little windows shaped like stars, trefoils, or wheels. These windows were imperfectly glazed, so that the night air circulated freely in the chapel. The tapers, of which there must have been half a hundred burning on the altar, were unmercifully blown about, and the light went through many different phases of brilliancy and semi-eclipse. On the steps in front of the altar knelt a young girl richly attired as a bride. A chill settled over Denis as he observed her costume. He fought with desperate energy against the conclusion that was being thrust upon his mind. It could not, it should not, be as he feared. Blanche," said the sire, in his most flute-like tones. "'I brought a friend to see you, my little girl. "'Turn round and give him your pretty hand. "'It is good to be devout, but it is necessary to be polite, my niece.' "'The girl rose to her feet and turned toward the newcomers. "'She moved all of a piece, and shame and exhaustion were expressed in every line of "'her fresh young body, and she held her head down and kept her eyes upon the pavement as she came slowly forward, in the course of her advance, her eyes fell upon Denis de Beaulieu's feet feet of which he was justly vain, be it remarked, and wore in the most elegant accoutrement, even while traveling. She paused, startled, as if his yellow boots had conveyed some shocking meaning, and glanced suddenly up to the wearer's countenance. Shame gave place to horror and terror in her looks. The blood left her lips. With a piercing scream, she covered her face with her hands and sank upon the chapel floor. "'That's not the man!' she cried. "'My uncle, that is not the man!' The sire de Malletroyd chirped agreeably. "'Of course not,' he said. "'I expected as much. It was so unfortunate you could not remember his name.' "'Indeed!' she cried. "'Indeed! I have never seen this person till this moment. I have never so much as set eyes upon him.' I never wish to see him again. Sir, she said, turning to Denis, if you are a gentleman, you will hear me out. Have I ever seen you? Have you, have you ever seen me before this accursed hour? To speak for myself, I have never had that pleasure, answered the young man. This is the first time, messire, that I have met with your engaging niece. The old gentleman shrugged his shoulders. I am distressed to hear it. "'he said, but it is never too late to begin. "'I had little more acquaintance with my own late lady ere I married her, which proves,' he added, with a grimace, "'that these impromptu marriages may often produce "'an excellent understanding in the long run. "'As the bridegroom is to have a voice in the matter, "'I will give him two hours to make up for lost time "'before we proceed with the ceremony.' "'And he turned toward the door, followed by the clergyman. "'The girl was on her feet in a moment.' "'My uncle, you cannot be in earnest,' she said. "'I declare before God I will stab myself rather than be forced on that young man. "'The heart rises at it. "'God forbids such marriages. "'You dishonor your white hair. "'Oh, my uncle, pity me. "'There is not a woman in all the world "'but would prefer death to such a nuptial.' "'Is it possible,' she added, faltering, "'is it possible that you do not believe me?' That you still think this, and she pointed at Denis with a tremor of anger and contempt, that you still think this to be the man? Frankly, said the old gentleman, pausing on the threshold, I do. But let me explain to you once for all, Blanche de Mellatroyd, my way of thinking about this affair. "'When you took it into your head "'to dishonor my family and the name that I have borne "'in peace and war "'for more than three-score years, "'you forfeited not only the right "'to question my design, "'but that of looking me in the face. "'If your father had been alive, "'he would have spat on you "'and turned you out of doors. "'He was the hand of iron. "'You may bless your God, "'you have only to deal "'with the hand of velvet, mademoiselle. "'It was my duty "'to get you married without delay. "'Out of pure good will. I HAVE TRIED TO FIND YOUR OWN GALLANT FOR YOU, AND I BELIEVE I'VE SUCCEEDED. BUT BEFORE GOD AND ALL THE HOLY ANGELS, BLANCHED de Maltroit, IF I HAVE NOT, I CARE NOT ONE JACKSTRAW. SO LET ME RECOMMEND YOU TO BE POLITE TO OUR YOUNG FRIEND, FOR UPON MY WORD YOUR NEXT GROOM MAY BE LESS APPETIZING. AND WITH THAT HE WENT OUT, WITH THE chaplain AT HIS HEELS, AND THE HEIRESS FELL BEHIND THE PAIR. The girl turned upon Denis with flashing eyes. "'And what, sir,' she demanded, "'may be the meaning of all this?' "'God knows,' returned Denis, gloomily. "'I am a prisoner in this house, "'which seems full of mad people. "'More I know not, and nothing do I understand.' "'And pray, how came you here?' she asked. He told her as briefly as he could. "'For the rest,' he added, Perhaps you will follow my example, and tell me the answer to all these riddles, and what in God's name is like to be the end of it. She stood silent for a little, and he could see her lips tremble, and her tearless eyes burn with a feverish luster. Then she pressed her forehead in both hands. "'Alas, how my head aches,' she said, wearily, "'to say nothing of my poor heart. But it is due to you to know my story.' Unmaidenly as it must seem. "'I am called Blanche de Malatoit. "'I have been without father or mother for, oh, "'for as long as I can recollect, "'and indeed I have been most unhappy all my life. Three months ago a young captain began to stand near me "'every day in church. "'I could see that I pleased him. "'I am much to blame, "'but I was so glad that anyone should love me, "'and when he passed me a letter, "'I took it home with me and read it with great pleasure.' "'Since that time he has written many. "'He was so anxious to speak with me, poor fellow, "'and kept asking me to leave the door open some evening "'that we might have two words upon the stair, "'for he knew how much my uncle trusted me.' "'She gave something like a sob at that, "'and it was a moment before she could go on. "'My uncle is a hard man, but he is very shrewd,' "'she said, at last. "'He has performed many feats in war, "'and he was a great person at court.' and much trusted by Queen Isabeau in old days. How he came to suspect me I cannot tell, but it is hard to keep anything from his knowledge, and this morning, as we came from mass, he took my hand into his, forced it open, and read my little billet, walking by my side all the while. When he finished, he gave it back to me with great politeness. It contained another request to have the door left open, and this has been the ruin of us all.' "'My uncle kept me strictly in my room until evening, and then ordered me to dress myself as you see me. A hard mockery for a young girl! Do you not think so? I suppose, when he could not prevail with me to tell him the young captain's name, he must have laid a trap for him, into which, alas, you have fallen in the anger of God. I looked for much confusion, for how could I tell whether he was willing to take me for his wife on these sharp terms?' HE MIGHT HAVE BEEN trifling WITH ME FROM THE FIRST, OR I MIGHT HAVE MADE MYSELF TOO CHEAP IN HIS EYES. BUT TRULY I HAD NOT LOOKED FOR SUCH A SHAMEFUL PUNISHMENT AS THIS. I COULD NOT THINK THAT GOD WOULD LET A GIRL BE SO DISGRACED BEFORE A YOUNG MAN. AND NOW I TELL YOU ALL, AND I CAN SCARCELY HOPE THAT YOU WILL NOT DESPISE ME. DENIS MADE HER A RESPECTFUL INCLINATION. "'Madam,' he said, "'you have honoured me by your confidence.' It remains for me to prove that I am not unworthy of the honor. Is Messire de Malitoit at hand? I believe he is writing in the salle. without, she answered. May I lead you thither, madam? asked Denis, offering his hand with his most courtly bearing. She accepted it, and the pair passed out of the chapel. Blanche in a very drooping and shamefaced condition, but Denis, strutting and raffling in the consciousness of omission and the boyish certainty of accomplishing it with honor. The sire Malatoit rose to meet them with an ironical obeisance. "'Sir,' said Denis, with the grandest possible air, "'I believe I am to have some say in the matter of this marriage. And let me tell you at once, I will be no party to forcing the inclination of this young lady. Had it been freely offered to me, I should have been proud to accept her hand.' "'for I perceive she is as good as she is beautiful, "'but as things are, I have now the honour, messire, of refusing. Blanche looked at him with gratitude in her eyes, "'but the old gentleman only smiled and smiled "'until the smile grew positively sickening to Denis. "'I am afraid,' he said, Monsieur de Beaulieu, "'that you do not perfectly understand the choice I have offered you. "'Follow me, I beseech you.' to this window, and he led the way to one of the large windows which stood open on the night. "'You observe,' he went on, "'there is an iron ring in the upper masonry, and reeved through that a very efficacious rope. Now, mark my words, if you should find your disinclination to my niece's person insurmountable, I shall have you hanged out of this window before sunrise. I shall only proceed to such an extremity with the greatest regret.' you may believe me, for it is not at all your debt that I desire, but my niece's establishment in life. At the same time, it must come to that if you prove obstinate. Your family, Monsieur de Beaulieu, is very well in its way, but if you sprung from Charlemagne, you should not refuse the hand of a Melletroit with impunity, not if she has been as common as the Paris road, not if she was as hideous as the gargoyle over my door.' Neither my niece nor you, nor my own private feelings, move me at all in this matter. The honor of my house has been compromised. I believe you to be the guilty person. At least you are now in the secret, and you can hardly wonder if I request you to wipe out the stain. If you will not, your blood will be on your own head. It will be no great satisfaction to me to have your interesting relics kicking their heels in the breeze below my windows.' "'But half a loaf is better than no bread, "'and if I cannot cure the dishonor, "'I shall at least stop the scandal.' "'There was a pause. "'I believe there are other ways "'of settling such imbroglios among gentlemen,' "'said Denis. "'You wear a sword, "'and I hear you have used it with distinction.' "'The sire de Maletroit made a signal to the chaplain, "'who crossed the room with long, silent strides "'and raised the heiress over the third of the three doors.' "'It was only a moment before he let it fall again. "'But Denis had time to see a dusky passage full of armed men. "'When I was a little younger, I should have been delighted to honour you, "'Monsieur de Beaulieu,' said Sire Elaine, "'But I am now too old. "'Faithful retainers are the sinews of age, "'and I must employ the strength I have. "'This is one of the hardest things to swallow as a man grows up in years. "'But with a little patience, even this becomes habitual.' "'You and the lady seem to prefer the cell "'for what remains of your two hours, "'and as I have no desire to cross your preference, "'I shall resign it to your use "'with all the pleasure in the world.' "'No haste,' he added, holding up his hand, "'as he saw a dangerous look come into Denis de Beaulieu's face. "'If your mind revolt against hanging, "'it will be time enough two hours hence "'to throw yourself out of the window "'or upon the pikes of my retainers. Two hours of life are always two hours.' "'A great many things may turn up in even as little while as that. "'And besides, if I understand her appearance, "'my niece has something to say to you. "'You will not disfigure your last hours "'by a want of politeness to a lady.' "'Denis looked at Blanche, "'and she made him an imploring gesture. "'It is likely that the old gentleman was hugely pleased "'at this symptom of an understanding, "'for he smiled on both, and added sweetly, "'If you will give me your word of honor." Be sure to bully you. To await my return at the end of the two hours before attempting anything desperate. I shall withdraw my retainers, and let you speak in greater privacy with Mademoiselle. Denis again glanced at the girl, who seemed to beseech him to agree. I give you my word of honor," he said. Messire de Malatroid bowed, and proceeded to limp about the apartment clearing his throat the while with that odd musical chirp which had already grown so irritating in the ears of Denis de Beaulieu. He first possessed himself of some papers which lay upon the table. Then he went to the mouth of the passage, and appeared to give an order to the men behind the heiress. And lastly he hobbled out through the door by which Denis had come in, turning upon the threshold to address a last smiling bow to the young couple, and followed by the chaplain with a hand-lamp." No sooner were they alone than Blanche advanced toward Denis with her hands extended. Her face was flushed and excited, and her eyes shone with tears. "'You shall not die,' she cried. "'You shall marry me, after all.' "'You seem to think, madame,' replied Denis, "'that I stand much in fear of death.' "'No, no,' she said. "'I see you are no poltroon. "'It is for my own sake. "'I could not bear to have you slain for such a scruple.' I am afraid, returned Denis, that you underrate the difficulty, madam. What you may be too generous to refuse, I may be too proud to accept. In a moment of noble feeling toward me, you forget what you perhaps owe to others. He had the decency to keep his eyes on the floor as he said this, and after he had finished, so as not to spy upon her confusion. She stood silent for a moment, then walked suddenly away, and falling on her uncle's chair... "'Fairly burst out sobbing. "'Denis was in the acme of embarrassment. "'He looked round as if to seek for inspiration "'and seeing a stool plumped down upon it for something to do. "'There he sat, playing with the guard of his rapier "'and wishing himself dead a thousand times over "'and buried in the nastiest kitchen heap in France. "'His eyes wandered round the apartment "'but found nothing to arrest them. "'There were such wide spaces between the furniture.' "'The light fell so badly and cheerlessly over all. "'The dark outside air looked in so coldly through the windows "'that he thought he'd never seen a church so vast "'nor a tomb so melancholy. "'The regular sobs of de amalitroid "'measured out the time like the ticking of a clock. "'He read the device upon the shield over and over again "'until his eyes became obscured. "'He stared into shadowy corners,' until he imagined they were swarming with horrible animals. And every now and again he awoke with a start to remember that his last two hours were running. And death was on the march. Oftener and oftener, as time went on, did his glance settle on the girl herself. Her face was bound forward and covered with her hands, and she was shaken at intervals by the convulsive hiccough of grief. Even thus, she was not an unpleasant object to dwell upon, so plump and yet so fine, with a warm brown skin, and the most beautiful hair, Denis thought, in the whole world of womankind. Her hands were like her uncle's, but they were more in place at the end of her young arms, and looked infinitely soft and caressing. He remembered how her blue eyes had shone upon him, full of anger, pity, and innocence. And the more he dwelt on her perfections, the uglier death looked, and the more deeply was he smitten with penitence at her continued tears. Now he felt that no man could have the courage to leave a world which contained so beautiful a creature, and now he would have given forty minutes of his last hour to have unsaid his cruel speech. Suddenly a hoarse and ragged peal of cock-crow rose to their ears from the dark valley below the windows, and this shattering noise in the silence of all around was like a light in a dark place, and shook them both out of their reflections. Alas, can I do nothing to help you?' she said looking up. Madam," replied Denis, with a fine irrelevancy, "'if I have said anything to wound you, believe me, it was for your own sake and not mine.' She thanked him with a cheerful look. "'I feel your position cruelly,' he went on. "'The world has been bitter, hard on you. Your uncle is a disgrace to mankind. Believe me, madam, there is no young gentleman in all France but would be glad of my opportunity.' "'to die in doing you a momentary service.' "'I know already that you could be very brave and generous,' she answered. "'What I want to know is whether I can serve you, now or afterward,' she added, with a quaver. "'Most certainly,' he answered, with a smile. "'Let me sit beside you as if I were a friend, instead of a foolish intruder. "'Try to forget how awkwardly we are placed together. "'Make my last moments go pleasantly.' AND YOU WILL DO ME THE CHIEF SERVICE POSSIBLE. "'You are very gallant,' she added, "'with a yet deeper sadness. "'Very gallant, and it somehow pains me. "'But draw nearer if you please, "'and if you find anything to say to me, "'you will at least make certain of a very friendly listener. "'Ah, Monsieur de Beaulieu, "'how can I look you in the face?' "'And she fell to weeping again with a renewed effusion.' Madam," said Denis, "'taking her hand in both of his, "'reflect on the little time I have before me "'and the great bitterness into which I am cast "'by the sight of your distress. "'Spare me in my last moments "'the spectacle of what I cannot cure "'even with the sacrifice of my life.' "'I am very selfish,' answered Blanche. "'I will be braver, Monsieur de Beaulieu, for your sake. "'But think if I can do you no kindness in the future.' "'if you have no friends to whom I could carry your adieu. "'Charge me as heavily as you can. "'Every burden will lighten, by so little, "'the invaluable gratitude I owe you. "'Put it in my power to do something more for you than weep. "'My mother is married again, "'and has a young family to care for. "'My brother, Gouchard, will inherit my fiefs, "'and if I am not in error, "'that will content him amply for my death. "'Life is a little vapor that passeth away.' as we are told by those in holy orders. When a man is in a fair way and sees all life open in front of him, he seems to himself to make a very important figure in the world. His horse whinnies to him, the trumpets blow, and the gruels look out of windows as he rides into town before his company. He receives many assurances of trust and regard, sometimes by expressing a letter, sometimes face to face, with purses of great consequence falling on his neck. Is it not wonderful if his head is turned for a time, but once he is dead, were he as brave as Hercules, or as wise as Solomon, he is soon forgotten. It is not ten years since my father fell, with many other knights around him, in a very fierce encounter, and I do not think that any one of them, nor so much as the name of the fight, is now remembered. No, no, madam, the nearer you come to it, you see that death is a dark and dusty corner, where a man gets into his tomb and has the door shut after him till the judgment day. I have few friends just now, and once I am dead, I shall have none. Ah, Monsieur de Beaulieu, she exclaimed. You forget, Blanche de Malatoit. You have a sweet nature, madam, and you are pleased to estimate a little service far beyond its worth. It is not that, she answered, "'You mistake me if you think I am easily touched by my own concerns. "'I say so because you are the noblest man I have ever met, "'because I recognize in you a spirit that would have made "'even a common person famous in the land.' "'And yet here I die in a mousetrap, "'with no more noise about it than my own squeaking,' answered he. "'A look of pain crossed her face, and she was silent for a little while. "'Then a light came into her eyes, and with a smile she spoke again.' I cannot have my champion think meanly of himself. Anyone who gives his life for another will be met in paradise by all the heralds and angels of the Lord God, and you have no such cause to hang your head. For pray, do you think me beautiful? she asked with a deep flush. Indeed, madam, I do, he said. I am glad of that, she answered heartily. "'Do you think there are many men in France who have been asked in marriage by a beautiful maiden with her own lips, and who have refused her to her face? I know you men would half despise such a triumph, but believe me, we women know more of what is precious in love. There is nothing that should set a person higher in his own esteem, and we women would prize nothing more dearly.' "'You are very good,' he said, "'but you cannot make me forget that I was asked in pity, and not for love.' "'I am not so sure of that,' she replied, holding down her head. "'Hear me to an end, Monsieur de Beaulieu. "'I know how you must despise me. "'I feel you are right to do so. "'I am too poor a creature to occupy one thought of your mind, "'although, alas, you must die for me this morning. "'But when I asked you to marry me, indeed, "'it was because I respected and admired you, "'and loved you with my whole soul.' From the very moment that you took my part against my uncle. If you had seen yourself and how noble you looked, you would pity rather than despise me. And now, she went on, hurriedly checking him with her hand, although I have laid aside all reserve and told you so much, remember that I know your sentiments toward me already. I would not, believe me, being nobly born, weary you with importunities into consent. I too have a pride of my own. "'and I declare before the Holy Mother of God, "'if you should now go back from your word already given, "'I would no more marry you "'than I would marry my uncle's groom.' "'Denise smiled a little bitterly. "'It is a small love,' he said, "'that shies at a little pride.' "'She made no answer, "'although she probably had her own thoughts. "'Come hither to the window,' he said with a sigh. "'Here is the dawn.' and indeed the dawn was already beginning. The hollow of the sky was full of essential daylight, colorless and clean, and the valley underneath was flooded with a gray reflection. A few thin vapors clung in the coves of the forest or lay along the winding course of the river. The scene disengaged a surprising effect of stillness, which was hardly interrupted when the cocks began once more to crow among the steadings. Perhaps the same fellow who had made so horrid a clangor in the darkness not half an hour before— now sent up the merriest cheer to greet the coming day. A little wind went bustling and eddying among the treetops underneath the windows, and still the daylight kept flooding insensibly out of the east, which was soon to grow incandescent, and cast up that red-hot cannonball, the rising sun. Denis looked out over all this with a bit of a shiver. He had taken her hand and retained it in his almost unconsciously, "'Has the day begun already?' she said, and then illogically enough. "'The night has been so long. Alas, what shall we say to my uncle when he returns?' "'What you will,' said Denis, and he pressed her fingers in his. She was silent. "'Blanche,' he said, with a swift, uncertain, passionate utterance, "'you have seen whether I fear death. "'You must know well enough that I would as gladly leap out of that window into the empty air "'as to lay a finger on you without your free and full consent. "'But if you care for me at all, do not let me lose my life in a misapprehension, "'for I love you better than the whole world, and though I will die for you blithely, "'it would be like all the joys of paradise to live on and spend my life in your service.' "'As he stopped speaking,' A bell began to ring loudly in the interior of the house, and a clatter of armor in the corridor showed that the retainers were returning to their post, and the two hours were at an end. "'After all that you have heard?' she whispered, leaning toward him with her lips and eyes. "'I have heard nothing,' he replied. "'The captain's name was Florimond de Champdevers, she said in his ear." I did not hear it, he answered, taking her supple body in his arms and covering her wet face with kisses. A melodious chirping was audible behind, followed by a beautiful chuckle, and the voice of Messiah Melodroit was heard to say, The chapel is this way. So ends the Sire de Melodroit's Door, by Robert Louis Stevenson. Hope you enjoyed the story. We always appreciate reviews here at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. And we appreciate our Patreon supporters, who, for about the price of a cup of blended coffee each month, support our expenses here at 1001. Check us out at patreon.com forward slash 1001 Stories Network. We appreciate the support of our patrons. We bring new stories every Sunday at noon Eastern Time and Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And now we've been doing a Best Of series, which comes out early Friday mornings, right after midnight. Until our next story, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.